Good morning. I'm Dan Riley. I'm on the worship team, and I've been asked to read a few uh, passages of Scripture from the book of Luke this morning uh, to prepare for Pastor Chris's message. Uh, this, this one here is from chapter 1, uh, verse 11, and it's talking about the birth of John uh, being foretold, John the Baptist. So it says in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And then on to uh, verse 26 to 37. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign, reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. <clears throat> how, will this, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, the Holy One will be born, uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And lastly, we're going to read from chapter 2. Verse 8 to 11, the shepherds and the angels. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Dan, so much for reading those ooh, select verses. I'm glad that didn't come unplugged. All right, well, <clears throat> as Steve said, my name is Chris Drinnen. Uh, I'm on staff here at Hillcrest. I work, mostly, I work mostly with our students, so our grades 6 to grade 12. I'm excited to be here, but I have to admit, I, I appreciate the little bit of a shout-out when my name was announced. It sounded like there's two or three adults in here that are looking forward to me speaking. Um, I, no, 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 for the rest of you, I, I realize I'm, I'm not up here super often, so there's, there's no hurt on, on, on the adult account. But what bothers me is that I've got Hillcrest teens sitting in this crowd. There's one, can I see a show of hands? Where are my, where's my grade six to twelves here? Come on, like, like nothing? Like no, sh no woo woo, no. There we go. That is, that is a lot better. I appreciate that. To be fair, they have heard me probably for the last six weeks in Hillcrest Teens and are just like, what? 
we, we thought we were going to get away from him, but he's here too. Anyways, I'm so, so excited to be with you this morning. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, um, but I'm excited to get to it. I can't believe that I get to be the guy up here preaching a message when all of you are only wondering one thing. What's that final pledge going to be? What's that final pledge going to be? Like, when are we going to get to that part? Like, who is this guy? Like, what's he doing up here? Like, let's just get to the pledge already. Well, anyways, at, at best, at best, we'll hear from the word, of the, we'll hear the word of the Lord. It'll challenge us and inspire us. At worst, I'm just uh, a nuisance and an annoying intermission uh, between the pledges, but we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, the messages that Dan read um, from the Gospel of Luke uh, all relate to these angelic visitations, and so we're going to spend some time uh, in those stories. It's very Adventish. Um, this morning, I, I've been loving the, the Legacy series, and it's been awesome, and it's just like Pastor Steve to hand over a guy who's absolutely passionate about Advent and honoring the four-week lead-up to give me one message before Christmas to talk about. I'm like, you're, you're, you know, you're driving me nuts, Steve. You're driving me nuts, but it's great. It's great. I'm glad to be here. There's a couple of really unique things about Luke's writings that will kind of help frame stuff for where we're going uh, this morning. Um, And that is, um, you know, Luke's gospel isn't his only work. In fact, his gospel was just the beginning. Luke actually wrote two books. He wrote Luke, his gospel, and he also wrote the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostle. And it's important to keep that in mind, that actually when Luke is writing, uh, he didn't start with one book and then thought, hey, that was a big hit, why don't I write a second one? Uh, Luke actually had kind of the long view. He was always intending to write two two works, and so it's in the arch that is sort of created between gospel and the Acts of the Apostle is, is important. You'll see themes in, in reading both that relate back, kind of tie the books together, and it, it really is quite brilliant. So we'll mention that. Secondly, uh, Luke kicks off um, his writing of the gospel with two birth narratives. He starts with a really short introduction, and then he launches into these really interesting birth announcements for John the Baptist and for Jesus, but they're, they're written in such a way that they really are meant to be sort of contrasted and Compared, and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into that this morning. So, um, if you're looking for a title and you're into that, um, I've titled today's message uh, "An Invitation to Joy." And at first, we're gonna take a look, kind of get into the details and the stories of uh, Zachariah's visitation from the the angel and Mary. Um, and then we're going to look at a, the visitation to the shepherds and kind of get into the details. But my, my goal is actually to sort of take a step back and look at the big arc of what Luke is trying to say and what he's communicating through his story, sort of like this, like at this like 100,000 feet type view. And I'd like to kind of end, I'd end, end with that. So before we jump into that, why don't we say a word of prayer? King Jesus, we thank you that you sit on an eternal throne uh, governing the universe. And I thank you that you are a God of invitation who invites us to come along with you on the story that you're telling. And so God, as we read your scripture this morning, our hearts cry and our prayer is not so much that we would read the words, but that your word would read us. Lord, would you lay us bare before you this morning and would you do a work in our hearts that only you can do? 
Lord, the need is desperate. The need is real in our lives to have an encounter with you. So Father, we invite you into this space and just say whatever you want to do, whatever you want to speak, whatever you want to challenge, whatever you want to encourage, we give you total permission to go there today. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoa, Steve, there's something up on the stage, I'm telling you. Okay, let's jump in to uh, Luke uh, 1 and verse 5, and away we go. Here we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Did you catch that? Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You perfectionists out there, this is your couple. But they were childless because Elizabeth, she wasn't able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, Luke had started his gospel with a brief introduction and then jumps right in. And Herod actually plays kind of a significant role. Uh, Herod is also known in history as the builder. And so Herod is known as the king of, kind of king of the Jews and he's in Jerusalem. And actually he's also known as Herod the builder. He built amphitheaters and infrastructure and did a lot to sort of invest and make Jerusalem which is sort of the, it is the epicenter of religious activity. And Herod, being half Jew, really like leaned into that. He kind of had favor with the Jews because he was half, half Jewish and he, he was a person of power and liked to kind of play that role in, 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 in between, as an in-between between Rome. And he built incredible things. In fact, the temple during this time, Herod had spent 10 years um, designing and working with the Temple Mount to just make it just awesome. And so we've got this glorious temple, we've got Herod's kind of involvement in it, and he introduces us to a couple, of course, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We know that they're great, they're a great couple, they're from good pedigree, they're righteous before God, they're blameless according to the Lord's commands and decrees. These are good people, don't miss that. But the issue is, is that Elizabeth is barren. And this would have been a source of heartache and shame. You see, back in biblical times, probably a little bit more so than what we associate today, is that children and, you know, crops that do well were seen very much as, as a blessing from God. That if you had many children and you were productive in business or, or your crops did really well, it was seen as, a, as an absolute blessing and, and, a, and a sign of God's favor upon you. And so Elizabeth would have would have carried this around as sort of a, a, source of, a source of shame that she wasn't able to, to have children. I mean, it doesn't totally resonate with our culture, right? Because, like, honestly, more and more young people, even young married couples, they're more interested in having puppies than pets. Like, puppies as pets, right? Rather than children, right? And that's sort of the stepping stone. Let's, you know, let's get a, let's just get, let's get a dog first. Let's see how that goes. And, and honestly, and it's not a bad thing. There's lots of couples that just find themselves in a place where they'd, they'd rather look after a couple of cats than, than chase youngsters around. And yeah, it's just a different, different tone in a culture. But in this culture, man, it would have been just a, just a perpetual kind of sign of, of shame that, that, that Elizabeth was barren and they, they weren't able to have any kids. Jump into verse 8. It says, Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for for Zechariah. What we need to remember is that there was no guarantee that as a priest you would get to be the one to go and burn incense. So this is in the, the holy place. It's right next. There's a curtain separating it and then there's the most holy place which has the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and it's where the presence of God dwelt. He would be on the other side of that curtain in the holy place burning incense. And he's doing this, you know, it's, it's chosen by lot. So there's no guarantee. It's, it's a fluke. It's, it's by luck. And yet, how many of you know that, that God really is in the details? This was not by accident. This was by divine decree. And now, now many of you know my story uh, in how I met Jenna, that we met on eHarmony. Um, what m- many of you maybe don't know is that, like, it was, it was touch and go. Like, like, like there, was a, there, was a, there was just a, a window where, like, I could have been looked over. You see, my approach to eHarmony is that there's a wife out there for me somewhere. It could be anyone. So it's like, hey, 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 how about you, how about you, how about you? Talk to me, talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's go for coffee. Like, this is great. My wife, on the other hand, she took a completely different approach. And this specific time that she was on eHarmony, she said, okay, I'm only going to connect with guys that reach out to me. And I'm only going to pick one guy to reach out to and talk with. And we'll see And where, if, if all of a sudden that's not going to go anywhere, then I'll move on to, I'll talk to somebody else. But it's only going to be one at a time. The stakes were high. <laughs> so she signs up for eHarmony, goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning, five matches. Of course, I've been up all night throwing out resumes, getting people to view my, my thing. So it's, I'm not surprised I ended up on her matches. But as she's scrolling through these profiles and looking through them, there's this guy there wearing this red sweater that kind of catches her eye. And it's the red, keep in mind, it's the red sweater that catches her, catches her attention. And she realized, hey, this guy's been matched with one of my friends I've been talking to too. Why don't I give his profile a read? So she gives the profile a read. The rest is history. <laughs> Chosen by lot. Had I not wore that red sweater, had that not been my profile's like, what could have happened? What would have my life ended up as? God very much is in the detail. Now, God doesn't want us to make a God of details, but God is very much in the details. Just as we see in the story of Zechariah, God is there. So Zechariah heads into the holy place, um, separated by the curtain, as I said. And then we hit verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Folks, an angel showed up. Yeah, I expected that reaction. You see, we're too familiar with the Christmas story. We're, you know, we've all read this stuff. We've been through this. Angels, you know, we're, we're so familiar with angels. But the truth is, is like, Guys, in Zechariah's time, we're dealing with 400 years of silence. Generations have gone by, and the word of the Lord has not shown up. It was quiet. Things were looking grim. They weren't sure how all this was going to happen. It was quiet. And then all of a sudden, this this specific day, we have Zechariah in the temple, and he's burning incense, and and an angel shows up. Like, 
wow. And I think part of what makes this a little less like, whoa, is, is the fact that like, when you hit the Christmas story, like 400 years of silence and then all of a sudden God goes all Oprah on everybody, right? It's like, you get an angelic visitation and you get an angelic visitation. Joseph, you're sleeping, you get an angelic. It's like, everybody gets an angelic visitation. But, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. After all this silence, God's got something really important to say. God's got something really important that can't be missed. And he's pulling out all the stops to make sure we get it, to make sure that we hear it. It's awesome. Angel shows up. Zachariah is gripped with fear. Now, this is a bit ironic. He's a professional. He's a priest. He's in the business with communicating with God. And he's gripped with fear. Like, you'd think he'd be more prepared. Like, you'd think there'd be some point of this, like a message from God would be somewhat expected. But he wasn't prepared for this unusual messenger. And we hear in verse 13, he jumps in and it says, but the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of, of, of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Man, my question is like, how old is this prayer? How, like, was this a prayer that they were still praying? Like, they're really old people. Like, they're really old. Like, it's sort of past the point where they could even have a, have a child. And so my question is, is this maybe like a prayer from days gone by? Like, I wonder when this angel brings this up, does, does Zachariah sort of even go like, oh, yeah, that prayer. I remember how we wept. I remember how we urgently pleaded with the Lord to, to give us a son or to give us a child. And, and the heavens were silent. But here this angel has heard heard his prayer. It goes on to say about the nature of this child, that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. It will come in the power of, of, of a prophet, Elijah. Uh, it'll, it'll cause many in Israel to rejoice and come back to the Lord. And his whole purpose, this child John, his whole purpose was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow, a child of significance. Best case scenario, a priest, a good priest, amazing couple, faithful to the Lord, longing for a son, praying for it, Zacharias in the temple offering incense to the Lord, angel shows up and tells them you're going to have a son. Could Hallmark write a better story? I think not. It's awesome. And then verse 18 happens. Ah! Zechariah falters. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Thank you for that, Zechariah. I'm sure Elizabeth was not pleased when this was written down. <laughs> it seems innocent enough, but we find out a little bit later that there was unbelief. There was doubt in Zechariah's words. And so, with all the spice of heaven, Gabriel responds to this rude question by saying, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Oh, awkward. There was unbelief in Zechariah's words. Even given the amazingness of the situation, he did not believe. He wanted evidence with which to base his faith versus trusting the messenger before him. Now, I can't take a ton of time with this because we've got to keep moving on, but there's an imaginative exercise that I love to do with Scripture, and it's this game I play when I read, and and I go, okay, you're allowed, you're allowed to time travel into any scenario in the Bible, whatever, but you can't actually change the outcome. You can't ever be there to change the outcome, but you could be there to, to have a conversation with whoever's there. And so, one of, one of my exercises was to do this in the moment that the, that the angel says this, tells Zechariah he's going to be silent, but just before he's actually silent, I like to step in to the scene. And I look at Zechariah, and of course, I mean, he's not super shocked. I mean, angels just showed up and scared him spitless, so me showing up is just sort of like old news already. And I would, I would look at him, and I'd be like, whoa, like, Zechariah, like, you're looking good. Like, you're a priest of the most high God, and this is your special day you were chosen by law to offer incense, and like, seriously, look at this temple. This is amazing. This is so sweet. Like, and this, this is the curtain, Zechariah, this is the curtain that's set, like the presence of God is just on the other side of this? And you get to be the priest that burns the incense for the people? And like you're this close to God? Like, wow! And, and Zach, Zechariah, like this angel, like a, a messenger of the Lord in all its glory and brilliance, shows up to you and, and tells you you're, you're going to have a baby reads your mail and says, you've always longed for a son, well now it's here. Like that's awesome, Zachariah. That's amazing. And he'd just stand there and kind of go, yeah, yeah. And then I'd be like, why would you doubt Zachariah? You have it all together, you're a professional priest. You know the stories, you know your God. You're in the temple, like the hub, Jerusalem, the epicenter, the temple, as close as you can get to the presence of God without dropping dead. And then an angel shows up and answers your, your prayer, and, and you doubt? How, how can you do that? Zachariah just kind of hangs his head. Because you can't hide unbelief that hides in your heart. You can't hide it. You know, Zechariah in many ways represented the entire nation of Israel in all its glory and splendor and the priesthood and the representation of God. And as Zechariah doubted in that moment, it sort of is representative of what the entire nation of Israel did when their Messiah showed up. So we can't, we can't be too hard on Zechariah, but his, as his punishment for his unbelief is silence, and I think that's important. 
He's quiet. I don't know about you guys, but seriously, come on. Lee, tell me, if an angel showed up and visited you in your home, would you be quiet about it? You'd tell the world. You'd be like, you got to hear this. This doesn't happen all the time. You need to know this. I'm called to fix lawnmowers with students at CCS. It's amazing. (laughs) But get this. And I think we need to hear this this morning. Zachariah's unbelief did not stop the sovereign will of God. The plans of God were not thwarted, were not stopped, were not hindered, were not even slowed down because of his doubt. Like he blew it. But the plan of God prevailed. Whoa, like his participation in it was hindered. But the plan of God was real and was moving forward Ah, in some ways, I hate to say it, but with or without him. Now we take a look at Mary's story. So we're in Luke 1, verse 26. And we'll read this one through and start. We just walked through sort of the Zechariah story. Look for some of the similarities. Let's see if you can pick them out. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so the, the plan of God is going forward, And quickly at that, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So from epicenter of religious activity in Jerusalem, the temple to a priest, the angel now comes to an obscure town named Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Town in Galilee, to a young girl who's a virgin who's only pledged to be married, not even married yet. And we're not told a whole lot more about her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Again, highly favored, had favor with God. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. How can this be? Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin. Now, it sounds like they both ask how, but we get a sense from the rest of the scripture that Mary's was actually more of a question of curiosity and awe and wonder versus doubt. And you remember Elizabeth's sort of report when Mary comes to see her, she says, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So, so Mary has curiosity and on wonder in her question, not fueled by doubt. That's, that's a distinction. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, or sorry, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. 
Both are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both are promised a, a miraculous birth. Both are actually equally unfit to have a child, right? Elizabeth is super old and um, Mary's not even married and, you know, not even doing what needs to be done to make a baby, right? Both respond with a perplexing kind of how. The contrast between these two stories and the way that Luke is telling them parallel like that, the contrast is in their response to God's promises. Here's how Mary responds. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel leaves. Mary responds in faith, even though the stakes were higher. Remember the picture painted with Zechariah where the angel's announcement is like something to be celebrated and a joyous event that would have old men jumping and clicking their heels for a son is to be born? Now the contrast is a virgin pledged to be married who's going to carry the child of God in her belly. There's, this has never happened before. Like this is a, this is a teen pregnancy that was going to raise eyebrows and questions and shun and humiliate and discourage. And even her explanation, I'm sorry, but really, if you were there and a teen who's pledged to be married to a man is pregnant and they tell you that it was God, come on, right? Come on. When I do the same imaginative exercise with Mary, and we won't do that for time's sake today, but when I put myself next to Mary after that angel visit, you know what I find myself doing? Trying to talk her out of it. I go, Mary, this is, do you know what waits for you on the other end of this? Like, I, I work with students. I know how cruel they can be. I know, I know the gossip that can happen. Like, this is, you're setting yourself, like, this is, what? And yet there's just this faith that this messenger came and she just went, may your word be fulfilled to me. I'm like, wow, what incredible faith. As the story continues, and this is where we'll zoom out just a little bit here. As the story continues, Mary heads off to see Elizabeth, right? That the angel told her that, hey, you're cut, you're, you know, Mary's in her sixth month already and she wasn't, she's too old to have kids. So Mary hustles on down there um, to see. And when Elizabeth hears the sound of Mary's greeting at the door. So presumably, Zechariah is also in this house, and he's still quiet, by the way. Elizabeth says that the baby inside her, John, just jumps, leaps for joy, and like Elizabeth starts prophesying, and then all of a sudden Mary comes into the and they have this neat little reunion moment, and then uh, all of a sudden Mary starts like, like speaking out and praising God. And it's not, it's not like, oh my, like I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teen who's really enamored with the notion of being pregnant and so I'm really excited about this. It was all about her. Her song is all about the goodness and greatness of God and what God is up to on a, on a cosmic scale. She's just fully embracing the plan of God and saying, Lord, whatever it is you want to do, you can do. But Zachariah's in some other room, quiet, while the girls chuckle and, and, 
and talk a mile a minute over each other, how women do, you know, like they're both talking at the same time and both answering each other's questions and there's, there's you know, neither of them are taking a break but they're having like two conversations, it's, it's, it's amazing. That's how I imagine it. But can we really be too hard on Zechariah? I think not. Even his lack of faith couldn't stop and God, I'm sure, was grieved that Zechariah couldn't be a part of it and as soon as John is born, Zachariah's mouth is loose and said his name is John. And then Luke records it. Zachariah goes on to a huge explanation, a, a song of praise. And you know what? It's not all focus on, yay, I've got a son to play catch with. Finally got that boy I was, I was longing for. His praise is, is laser focused on the will of God, on the plans of God of what God is up to in this age. He's glorifying God and praising him. He's totally caught up in the joy of being a part of what God is doing. It's amazing. It's such a redemptive and restorative moment for Zechariah. So what happened here at the beginning of Luke's gospel is more than a lesson about faith and responding to God. It's actually an invitation to joy. An invitation found not in one's circumstances, but in the knowledge of and participation in the plan of God. Through faith, we enter into joy into what God is doing. There's one more scripture we're going to take a look at real quickly, and then we're going to wrap up. In chapter 2, verse 9, we have this angelic visitation to the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is the shepherds. And the glory, like imagine this, the glory of the Lord shines around them. These random shepherds on the side of a hill. And they're terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Today, and here's the message. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, oh, the high point of angelic activity in the Gospels, a great company of heavenly hosts appear and with the angel praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, oh, on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels announce a Savior's birth, Jesus. Note that Luke doesn't at this time tell us what he's saving us from. We have to read the rest and know the rest of the book to understand. We're just given a primer. Good news, great joy, all people, peace for on whom God's favor rests. Through faith, we enter into the joy of what God is doing, but Luke's purposes go beyond our own experience of that joy. If we zoom out in a big picture, we have at the end of Luke's gospel, this amazing scene where Jesus goes up to heaven, and it says the disciples are filled with joy, and they return to Jerusalem in great joy. Like they're caught up, in, just been commissioned by Jesus, they're caught up in the plan of the Lord and they leave in great, great joy and they're told to wait. And then he starts Acts. 
And it begins with this waiting on the Holy Spirit for what the Spirit would do. And the Spirit comes and fills them. And I, do you guys remember we did a series on Acts? I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago or something like that. We did a study on Acts. And it's, it's remarkable. Through the whole book and looking through it, we kind of settled on like there's, there's something that happens consistently when the Holy Spirit shows up. In fact, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. And do you know what it is? If you say tongues of fire, that, that was cool. It happened once. There, that's not it. Consistently. Signs and wonders, miracles. Oh yeah, those are all really, really good too. That, that's okay. But that doesn't happen all the time. You know what happens? It's boldness to proclaim the message of Jesus. As evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. That when he's at work, the fruit he presents, The fruit he produces is a joy to share the story. Ha! Faith has you sharing and not keeping silent about what God is doing. While we enter into joy through faith in what God is doing, we respond to God by going out in joy to share the message of Jesus which is what the Christmas message is all about. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish but would experience, would have eternal life. Wow. The band wants to come up to get ready to lead us in a response, I'll wrap up with this. I think Luke is a bit intentional with having a story about Zachariah's unbelief and the punishment being silence, not being able to share, and the whole arc of his work in Acts about being, guys, we gotta share. This is good news, great joy for all people. We can't just stop with going, hey, this is a, this." meets an emotional need in my life to be happier, to experience joy. You need a bit longer? Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, say no more. (laughs) Here I was like nailing my time cues here. Laura's not going to live this one down. This makes, right, Steve? This makes up for all the time. All the time. Anyways. But it's really important that we don't, we don't recognize it as that it's just something for us. Do you see what's happening? Like, like happiness is so circumstantial, but, but joy, a, a biblical perspective of joy is not when things are going well for you or good for you or you're, you're grateful for things that are happening. That's all well and good. But But joy is actually rooted in participation in the plans of God. It's rooted in glorifying God. And the whole arc of Luke's story is about being filled with the Spirit that produces a joy and an excitement. And we all have different ways we share this. I mean, absolutely, through through our words and through our counsel and through our visits, but also in the way that we serve, in the way that we love, in the way that we lead our family, in the way that we lead our churches. These are all ways that we can point towards God. 
There's a prayer, um, there's a prayer that we pray often here at Hillcrest, and when I was prepping this message, I realized, man, it's just, it's really neat how it sort of comes together, and I've seen, I seen these connections. Many of you, you've, you've, you've prayed this prayer, and I love it because it's, it's not, not kind of like a sinner's prayer that's meant to just, you know, you, know, you pray it once and, and you've got assurance type thing. It, it's meant to actually be a prayer that reflects the cry of your heart on an ongoing basis. And it really does sort of summarize what we've been talking about today. And it simply goes this, where first we acknowledge the source of our joy and we pray, dear Father, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Your plan, your working, what you're doing is a source of my gratefulness and my joy. And then we make a simple confession of faith A simple prayer that says simply, I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Then it's the good part. It's the responding to what God has done with a simple request for help. We say, help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a prayer and a coming to God can be just as simple as that. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed a prayer like that, but that's where your heart is at, and as I prayed that or walked you through that, that something stirred in your heart, and for the first time you feel like, man, I'm, I'm choosing to trust in Jesus. I'm responding to the, to, the, to the joy, to the working of God in my heart, and I just, I want to acknowledge it, and I want to follow him. Can you tell someone, whether a family member or a friend that brought you here today, or or myself, or Pastor Steve, we'd be overjoyed if you caught us after the service and said, hey, you know that prayer? You know that thing we're supposed to say? I did that. We'd love to catch up with you and talk to you about it. It's so important that we share what God is doing in our life. I hope this morning that a few things have happened. I hope that we're inspired to believe and enter in with joy into the story of what God is up to, especially in this season when people are so uh, kind of open to talking and sharing and visiting. And I hope that joy would find its proper expression in the proclamation of the hope and eternal life that we have because of Christ's coming. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a good God. You are ever faithful even when we blow it and fail. You give us chances time and time again. You are so faithful, Lord. It's clear that what you're doing is the source of all joy and that you really want us to be a part of it. You really want us to find our place in it. So, Lord, I pray, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that this morning, Lord God, even as we respond in song, that you would stir our hearts for the response that you're calling us to make to you on behalf of what you're doing in and through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.